This is the weekly Parsha Shior with Rabbi Chaim Bravender of Atid and WebYeshiva.org. Recorded live in Jerusalem at Beit Knesset Haramban. Visit www.webyeshiva.org for live interactive online shiurim today. This is a, this is a Hanzada shiur. And this shiur is uh, dedicated by Bati and Eddie Jacobs in loving memory of Dr. Chuck Feldman's Zichrona Lebrocha. A model of dedication to family, community, and Torah education. And this is this is actually quite true. I know uh, I knew Dr. Feldman Zichrona Lebrocha. Two of his sons studied in the yeshiva. And so, in the way of uh, backwards relationships, we can go. He had a kid. He's an official in Mumbai. He doesn't know it. It's your mailbox kid. <laughs> okay, that's great. So I, uh, I just want to, I wanted to mention that you know I knew Dr. Feldman's Zechariah and everything that I said about him is true. And uh, he was also a very uh, interested, nice, dedicated person, and it's uh, an honor for me to give this sheer in his memory. Okay, I'm going to take a, a line from the Haggadah, and we're going to try to understand it. Um, you remember that the first answer to the question, uh, the overarching question is, what are we doing here tonight? Right? That's the overarching question. And the answer is that we got together to tell a story. And the story that we're going to tell has a kind of form to it. And that form, the Mishnah says, is matchilim bignut, you start critically about B'nai Yisrael, about the people, and you end with shvach. You end with uh, praise for that. This is not explained in the Mishnah. I mean, not explained what it is, but in the Gemara, right, there are two opinions, as you should know by now. The opinion of Rav and the opinion of Shmuel. Rav and Shmuel were, lived in the first generation, the first generation Emoraim, and lived in Bazel. And lived in Bazel. <coughs> the Mishnah, of course, was written in Eretz Yisrael. The Mishnah was written in Eretz Yisrael. By, we call them Tanaim. Right? There's a reason that we call them Tanaim, but it just, it just, it's important to sort of like think in these terms, the Mishnah said something. Obviously, people understood what the Mishnah was saying. The Mishnah said, "Matchil b'gnutim mitzayim b'shvam." They didn't tell us what the gnut is. It tells us what the shvach is. But I imagine that the people who learned the Mishnah understood what the Mishnah was saying. Something. And that was the mitzvah of Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim was a mitzvah at that time. And they had to do it in some way. So, you know, the way these things are, they repeat it again and again. They tend to, you know, the different versions tend to come closer to each other. So even though the Gemara says, Rav has this opinion, and Shmuel has that opinion, right? Nevertheless, nevertheless, in our Haggadah, we say both. We say the Rav, and we say Shmuel. Even though the Mishnah doesn't tell us to say that. Right? The Mishnah doesn't tell us. So, so, here's the first answer. The first answer to the overarching question, which is, what are we doing here tonight? Right? The first answer is, Avadim Ayinu Lekaro Mitzrayim. So, of course, of course, there's got to be some notion here about what Avadim are. Like, this is Matil Bignut. Why is it a gnut to say that we were slaves in Mitzrayim? After all, we didn't enslave ourselves. 
somebody else enslaved us. So, it should be a good for them. They're the ones who, who limited my freedom and my access. Why is this called Gnut? But we know that the Gnut, that the, the, the um, embarrassment is ours. We are the ones who are embarrassed by the fact that we were slaves. And I know that because the second version of the Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim is Mitzila Odeh Avodah you have a table. So if Mitzila Odeh Avodah that's certainly saying something critical about B'nai Yisrael, that they were idolaters. So in the same format, we know that Avadim Ayinu is a critique of B'nai Yisrael. Like, it's sort of saying that in order for B'nai Yisrael to be what they were supposed to be, and what was it they were supposed to be? They were supposed to be the recipients of the Torah, the bringing that, you know, these ideas to the world, Torah, well, they just weren't prepared. They couldn't function. So, Avadim Hayinu was the cure. How it was the cure, I mean, you have to say, what was the illness and what was the cure? I mean, that's so easy, but obviously, Chodesh Baruch said to Avram Avinu, hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt, and then they'll come out. Didn't say that we did anything wrong. We just said that we weren't right. We weren't proper. We weren't fixed for the job that had been given to us because of Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov. So that's what I think. We have to focus on the word Avadim as a criticism of the Ne Yisrael. And as a criticism, it means, you know, you have to become slaves to, um, to appreciate freedom. Right now, you know that a slave, I mean, just like looking into it more carefully, you know, what is a slave? A slave is a person who is denied free will. Not a person who's denied freedom of action. Anybody, uh, we're all denied freedom of action, right? We all uh, live in a country, and there's a police, and there are laws. We're all denied, but we can make a choice. We don't, we have not denied ourselves from becoming, making choices. What are slaves? Slaves have nothing to make choices about. Nothing. And if, as the Rambam says, and you know, you might think uh, is a reasonable statement, that Am Yisrael, the Jewish people, are the people who are committed to free will. That's what we're committed to. And that, that we are the ones, we are, we are the ones who, we are the ones who, who, who say that you can make a choice. You can choose the Torah way, or you can choose not to go the Torah way. But I mean, that's the essence of who people are. They are the ones who, given a choice, are able to make a choice. Slaves are people who can't make a choice. They're not so many slaves in history who ran away. Slavery went on for a very, very long time. They didn't have the Mossad and the Shin Bet and the, you know, they didn't have all that, that stuff. All they had was, all they had was the ability to frighten. And, and slaves remained slaves. There are no great emancipations of slaves. And those of you interested in American history know that the period after the slaves were freed in America, both in the North and in the South, were difficult times. They're difficult times for, for all, of, all the people. It was hard to adjust to this new reality of not being a slave. They didn't know how to act, how to live. This is different. You know, the, the, uh, in Am Yisrael, there were also, we also had slaves, but they're different. There were slaves who knew that, they, that their slavery would come to an end. And therefore, they, they never lost this ability to choose. But I'm going on again. We were slaves. We couldn't make choices. We were under the dominion of Paro the Mitzrayim. And what does is, what is Paro represent? What is Paro? Paro is the ultimate idolater. He's the ultimate, committed, idolater personality. Because 
you couldn't convince Paro that God wanted the Jews to go free. Now, why couldn't you convince Paro? Where did he get that power from? That personality. It's true, uh, God says here, I hardened his heart, but in his own mind, he must have had some rationale. And the rationale for not giving in to Moshe Rabbeinu. Why didn't he give in? I mean, if, if one of us had to put up with Dams Fadeh, Kinim, Aro, Devil, Shem, Borod, Abba, Choshech, we would have given in, no? So what's the deal? What, to let the Jews go out to the desert? Who knows what will happen? Give in? Why all this suffering? But Cairo didn't give in because there's no miracle that can prove there's only one God. You know such thing? So Cairo said, okay, He's, uh, he's strong, he Moshe Rabbeinu. He can, he can uh, hurt us, Moshe Rabbeinu. But who says that our God is not going to fight back, is not going to give him his comeuppance, so to speak? So that's Paro. So we were slaves, and Paro, we were slaves, and Paro was the idolater, the ultimate idolater. And the and and in such a situation, we couldn't win. And you know what Chazal said that, that the Jews were influenced, and they were also. Um, I mean, even though they didn't have uh, you know videos and movies and all that, but they were terribly influenced by the reality of Mitzrayim. And at the end, they also were not able to explain why they wanted to go free. And what did they do? They screamed. That's what Chazal say. They screamed. Screamed because of the pain. You know what a scream is? You should know. Because we scream on Rosh Hashanah every year. We blow the shofar. The shofar is an undistinguishable message. It's, it's when you run out of words. You run out of words, you blow the shofar. That's what happened to B'nai Yisrael. They, they didn't deserve to leave. They didn't do anything. They didn't produce anything great in Mitzrayim. They were not devoted to the, uh, to the uh, traditions of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. They were also caught up in this web of idolatry. All of that is true, but they were still able to scream to God. They were able to scream out to God. And you know, the Zohar says, you should know, you should know that that sometimes you do the right thing, but the pain is so great that you don't understand. Don't say what is pain. So the model that's used in the Zohar several times is the woman giving birth. God said to Adam Arisha and then to Noah, have children. That's what God said. So you would think that if God wanted to punish Chava, that why would it be the punishment that ran against God's own dictate? But, okay, this all thinks that, that it enables, it enables a higher level of consciousness, right? Like you suddenly don't understand something, and then it's all right. You know, that's something that is a, like a wondrous experience that the Zohar is, is trying to explain, so that, that the fact that you can't express the prayer, you can't say, you can't speak to God and say, you can't say, listen, I don't want to be in this pain, but you said we should have children. Like, like what, are you, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? So, so, so the thing that, according to the Zohar, I have no further information, according to the Zohar, so the women scream. That's why, that's why they scream. They don't scream because it hurts. I mean, you know, that's different. Some people, you know, something hurts. There are people who scream more, there are people who scream less. But, but, but childbirth is somehow associated with women screaming. They're not screaming because it hurts. They're screaming because they don't understand why it hurts. And they have no way of expressing that don't understand. What? 
I'm just to tell you what the Zohar said. I'm not, I'm not arguing the case. I'm not arguing the case. What I'm saying is that you could be, a person could be in a position where he doesn't have words to express himself. I don't want to, you know, uh, I, I feel badly even thinking about it. Like, you know, these tragedies that happened in, uh, in just recent weeks. I mean, what sort of, you know, what sort of, uh, what, can you, what can you say? You know, it's like, it's not just such a trite phrase, but it's, it's so true in this, in this case. You know, I mean, everybody wants to think that their lives are meaningful. Even a little bit meaningful. It doesn't have to be, you know, changing the world. A little bit, a little bit meaningful. Or less meaningful than having, you know, nice children and, and, and giving them something to eat and, uh, and they grow up. I mean, what's, what, what lesser goal could a person have? And here it's denied in such an obtuse fashion and we don't know it's true. We don't understand. We don't know what God intended. We don't know, uh, we don't know what anything means really. But still, it's difficult. It's difficult. And, and so what can you do? You can only scream. Screaming is a statement without words. That you get to the point where you just can't say anything. But you have to confront God in some sort of relationship. So, Avadima Yinulapalo Mitzrayim doesn't mean we were slaves and he enslaved us. It means we were like him. We became like him. We adopted, we adopted, you know, like, like if in, 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 a, in a Christian country the slaves all became Christians. So of course they became Christians, they become Muslims, they become Christians. So, so we were slaves in, in, uh, we were slaves in Egypt, and what was going to become of us, we were going to come back like Parab and Mishraim. So, Vayotzi Enu, Hashem, Lekonu Misham, Vayotzi Enu, doesn't mean physical departing of the Jews from the tribe alone, but we were disconnected. We were disconnected from the Egyptians, and it was only happened at Kriyat Yamsuf, and this is also not my topic, but you have to understand what it is we're talking about. What we're talking about, like, like a major event, we're not talking about the emancipation of slaves who had a personality. We're talking about the emancipation of the personality from the Jewish people. And that's why, also, uh, uh, you see that, that the plan was that they should be in Egypt for 400 years. But they weren't. They were only there for 210 years. Somehow the people, the people would have been gone. They would have been lost in 400 years. So, Vayotzi Einu Hashem Elokeinu Nisham Yad Chazakah Uvizroen Netuyah. Yad Chazakah Uvizroen Netuyah without distinguishing what this is and what that is. It sounds like it's hard. You know, could have said, by Yetzirah, Hashem Lekele, Rishon, poof. But that even, even for God, because God, God wanted the Bechirat Chofshit of Am Yisrael. He didn't want the physical removal of the Nei Yisrael from Egypt. Okay, that's a chesed. That has something to do with pain and suffering. But HaKadosh Baruch wanted us to get to the state of Free will, a free will action. That's why it's Yehenu Hashem Lokeimi Sham. The Yad Chazakah is on it And there's an interpretation. All this comes from the Mishnah, but there's an interpretation. Ilu Lohoshi Hakadosh Baruch Hu Ati Avotem Mitzrayim. Harayano Bnei Banenu Bnei Banim Mishu Avadim Ailu Farov Mitzrayim. God had not taken us out of Mitzrayim. We would still be enslaved to Mitzrayim, which doesn't mean that we would be in Cairo, Alexandria. There might be any place. But if we, if God hadn't taken us out of Israel, we ran away, we ran into the desert, we, we like recovered someplace in Libya, we would not be worth it. It's only because God took us out. It's only because God separated us from ourselves, so to speak. The ourselves that were becoming kind of part of the Egyptian scheme of things. So, so evil. This Yitziat Mitzrayim did not happen. This is the story. We would still be, we would still be buggers. We wouldn't understand. We wouldn't know who we are. We would still not be worthy of receiving the Torah. 
So that Vayotzi'enu is not an accidental event. Like you say, oh, God does everything. Everything goes back to God. Okay, that we're not we're interested in the fact that God had to show himself, so to speak, as the one who took us out of Mitzrayim. Because that's the only way we could understand that the world that we left is, is not a true world. And the world that we were interested in represented the truth. Finally, the line in the Haggadah that I am interested in. I mean, I mentioned all the lines. But the line I'm interested in is this line. Imagine this. There's words that are, to a certain extent, uh, synonyms. Chachamim, Nezamim, Zekenim. Zekenim means a lot of wisdom. Right? It doesn't mean, you know, get up to an old person on the bus. It means people who are, have the title, what called Zekenim. Kulanu Yodim we all know the Torah. And of course, this has been interpreted, right? In the Mishnah, there was, there was no one to teach. There's no one to ask a question. There's no one to give an egg. Like, uh, like, there's just these, all these smart people sitting around. And so how are they going to have a Seder? How are they going to do the Mitzvah? Because there's no one to teach. And if, if all the people know everything, so, so what are you going to do? You can think to yourself, of some rabbi that you know, who knows everything. I say, well, what does he do at the Seder? What does he do at the Seder? Does he talk to his grandchildren? <laughs> he says, Mitzvah alevu saper b'yitziat mitzrayim. The mitzvah of sifu yitziat mitzrayim applies even to the wisest people. Even if one of these wise people happens to be in a state of by himself, he has to tell the story of Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim. So in other words, the, 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 the Mishnah, the Haggadah, tells me that there are two kinds of situations. One is where there is someone to teach, and the other is where there is no one to teach. So where there is somebody to teach, so of course you teach them. That's obvious. Right? That's why people invite guests. Right? That's why we invite guests. I know that we always had this uh, difficulty in my house growing up that where we had these cousins who were not from and they wanted to come to the Seder. And, uh, and for those of you who know something about uh, New York, they lived in the Bronx and we lived in Brooklyn. <laughs> why they wanted to come, I never could understand. But they, uh, they wanted to come. They wanted to come, so, you know, so uh, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? I don't know. I was just a little kid, so I, mean, I, wasn't, I wasn't responsible. But it came up in the conversation that after all, if they come to the Seder, they're going to go home uh, after the Seder. And so, what's the profit? You know, like, like you could be happy at the Seder and then... If you have a chalal Shabbos or Yontes, you're not so happy if you got punished. So I don't, I don't know, but everybody has this story, right? Everybody has somebody at their Seder who doesn't know what's going on. And if you don't know what's going on, you're probably not so careful with all the Taryag mitzvot. So that means that, you know, somehow you're participating in their lack of care. You're making it possible for them, even if it doesn't make any difference, they're not going to care anyway. But, you know, you know how, how the halachic mind works? Like in like very rigid categories. And then the Haggadah says, Ma'aseb Rabbi Lozab, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Lozab, Rabbi Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Tarifon, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Tarifon, these are the great people, not only of the generation, but especially about Pesach, a lot of the halachot, are connected to Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarifon. Imagine, imagine the Seder. They didn't invite anybody. There's nobody else there. I, I don't know. I mean, it could be the other people there, but, they, you know, you're not everybody gets name recognition. You know, some, uh, some people, you notes were at the Seder. So here they are, these, these four people who know everything, or five people who know everything, Shayumisubin de Bnei Brak, naturally, 
והיו מספרים ביציאת מצרים כל אותו הלילה, in spite of the fact. They could have just winked at each other. And they said, they said, oh, Avadim, or Paro, and Avodizor, like, it's sort of like Gatsud Haggadah in a minute. They didn't. They, they, they were into it. So you see, it's a proof. It's a proof. So what were these Chachamim really doing? What were they saying? We think the, the Haggadah, imagine the Haggadah is not a very big book. And if you think about the old, the good old Manashevich Haggadah, <laughs> which didn't have, it was no frill. It was a no frill Haggadah, and it had Hebrew and English. <laughs> that means that Rabbi Akiva's Haggadah was maximally half the size. <laughs> right? And then if you cut out Nilsa, you cut out Chagadja and all that stuff, which apparently was not around at the time of Rabbi Akiva. <laughs> and then you cut out a few more of P.U. Tim. And the pictures. Hey, hey, the pictures. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so what, what are they doing all night long? I mean, I mean to say that, okay, they accepted the fact that you have to do the mitzvah. You have to tell the story of 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 people you see as That's a good business. But how can they do it all night long? I mean, we, we, I, you know, the, you know, there's this video about uh, about Pesach about yeshiva guys in America. Pesach, you should find it someplace on the YouTube <laughs> if you do such things. <laughs> but it's like a story about about. Uh, about yeshiva guys, how, what yeshiva guys talk about when it comes to Pesach. So one of the topics, of course, is how late was your Seder? You know, that's such a topic. How late was your Seder? So one guy says 11.30, and I said, oh, 11.30, I went to one. So the guy who said 11.30 says, oh, I meant that that was when my mother went to sleep. <laughs> but, but we kept going till 2, you know, like, and then the other guy, some other guy comes because I went till four. And it's like, it's like some kind of a, 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 an Olympic test. You know, how late can you do this? How late can you do the same? But these people, these kind of in, who knew the material perfectly, not like the uh, regular yeshiva guys who are walking around today. Uh, they do this, what were they doing all night long? What was it that they were talking about? And what was it that encouraged them? to talk all night long until the morning at the end of the story these guys are totally out of it don't they know that there's I mean okay you can extend but extensions don't come instead of a real mitzvah it's a real mitzvah that you have to do so what are they doing what is it that these great Tanaim are doing? So I want to just point out, before we, we try to resolve this question, it says in the Mishnah and in the Haggadah, I feel the first wide line, Haggadah Shal Pesach, the call Hamarbe, I'm sorry, the Chachamim, Nivonim, and Zikenim, Right? Those are the three uh, nouns that are used. Chachamim, Nivonim, Zikenim, and Yodim. Now, if I tell you that the Zikenim, that word Zikenim, is suspect, it's not clear that in all the earlier versions of the Haggadah, the word Zikenim, which means wise, elderly people, you know, uh, that that word was there. So that would leave us with Chachamim, Nevonim, and Yodim, right? Chachamim, Nevonim, Yodim. Hmm. <laughs> so this, it has been noted uh, by many, that is, it's hard not to associate this statement in the Mishnah with a pasuk in the Torah. And that pasuk in the Torah is here, Shemot Perek Lavad Aleph Pasuk Gimel, you see the next source? Ramalei Oto, the Torah is talking about the appointment of B'Tzalel Ben Uri Ben Chur Lemate Yehuda, who is going to build the Mishkan. Now it's not clear 
why we need somebody who has a name to build the Mishkan. Why couldn't Moshe Rabbeinu, why couldn't Moshe Rabbeinu be in charge? And, and you have all these artisans. I mean, the, the Torah says that the various things were made by people with that kind of knowledge. So, like, what is it that the Tzalel that Uri ben Chulam brings to the subject? What, 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 what is it that he is adding, or value added? You have Moshe Rabbeinu, he gets the command from God, and then he goes to the Tzalel, and he says, Tzalel, this is what we should do. The Tzalel goes and tells the artists, now what do I need the Tzalel for? Now what does he add to this picture? So usually people think of the Tzalel as being an architect, or a, uh, a guy who's leading the workforce in some way. But it's not clear at all. Right? Malay Oto Ruach Elokim. The Chochma Uve Tsuna Uve Dat Uve Cholmelacha. You see that? She says, he says, not only was, was, uh, not only was Bitsalel a capable person, somebody who could run a business. Or someone over, you know, most, most things that people do, everybody looks at it and says, look, I can do the same thing. You know, like a kablan. What's the big deal in a kablan? You get a, a guy who does this, and a guy who does that, and a guy, and you tell him to do it, and then you pay them. <laughs> but, you know, unfortunately, many kablanim, or people who think they are kablanim, you know, seem to go under at inappropriate uh, moments. So that, that here, where, uh, God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, I don't know what that is exactly, but I say it's like close to prophecy. In other words, like he has to, in order for him, for Shalom, to do what God wants him to do, he's got to be connected to God. It's not like Moshe Rabbeinu wants him to do it. But, but he can't get lost in the translation. And it's interesting that by Salel in the last two parish in Kitisa and in Etruma Pesava Kitisa Vayakal Pekudei, right? You know that when Moshe Rabbeinu was told to build the Mishkan, he built the Kalim and then he built the building, the house. When Salel went to build the Mishkan, he built the house first. He said, what do you mean? I'm going to build the Kalim and not have any place to put them? I'm going to build an iron kodesh and not have a place. So he built, he built the bayit, and many of it. So you see that, at least the, the way we understand it, that B'tzalel was not the guy who followed orders. Quite the contrary. He had a line to God's will. And when he said, you build the house first, and then you put in the cave, and he looked Moshe Rabbeinu in the face and he said, I'm right and you're wrong. That's, that was B'tzalah. That's Ruach Elokim. He understood what really should be done. And whatever the reason that Moshe Rabbeinu received the command in the opposite way was, B'tzalah knew that that was not what he was supposed to do. So, and then it says, Chachma, Tzvuna, Vedat. Remember those three words? Right? So those are the same three words. Kulanu Chachamim. Kulanu Nevonim. I told you Kulanu Skenim we could leave out. I mean, it's not, per, it's not clear that it was the original, the original message. And then, and then, Kulanu Yodim Et And you know that when we start Dabdik Shemon Esrei every, every day, Right, the many times you say a weekday, so you say Atachonim Lozamdas, and then somehow Chachma Ovina, right, is involved, and we know that in the in the Kabbalistic conception of things, the first the first Sfirot, uh, um, the first of ten, not the first of the seven, but the first of the ten, the first one is Keter. Then Chochma, then Bina, right? Keser, Chochma, Bina, and then it'll get to Das. But somehow those words also have to be understood. We have to understand those words. So now, let's remember that Pasuk. 
Rashi explains the Chachma, Masha Adam Shomer Macharim Melamed. Chachma is the ability to learn material. Tzvuna, Rashi says, is Mevin Davar Milibo, Mitoch Tzvayim Shelamad. In other words, the inference, the implication. He's able to make an implication, not just to memorize all kinds of material, which sometimes is very good, but he's also able to say, in a new situation, this would be the, the Torah, what the Torah wants. The third thing is Vidat, that's Ruach HaKodesh. So Rashi also, the, the next quote is, is from the Sefer HaOreh. The Sefer HaOreh is a collection of material, a lack of material from the house of Rashi. Rashi had Talmidim, and those Talmidim wrote up what Rashi thought about things. And it was collected into a book that's called Sefer HaOreh. So in the Sefer Orech, the Kalash of Vitali says that, it says this, about the Haggadah. Chacham, v'no sho'alo. V'imlav, hu sho'el atzmo. That if he's a Chacham, and his son asks him, hu sho'el atzmo, that there's no son, he asks himself, v'afilu shnei talmidei Chachamim ha'bikim ba'alachot ha'pesach, sho'alim, z'ed z'ed. And even if you have two great scholars, who know all the halachot, they're supposed to say, well, what do we do now? And why do we do this? And do we do this? What's the shear? And what's the, well, how fast do you have to do it? Or how slow do you have to do it? That's what you should do. Every, even though you did the same thing last year, and you know that. Manishtana, atkulano misubim. Halayla zechayavim anula seiv, derecheirut. And on this night, we also have to leave. That's a, 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 an addition to Abonam, right? There are two great rabbinic Impositions. One is the Arba Kosot, that you have to drink four Kosot of wine on the, even though this year, since the first day of Pesach is the Shabbos, so the Kiddush that you make Friday night is Doraita. The Kiddush is Doraisa. I've got to pronounce these words correctly. The Kiddush is Doraita, meaning that Nin HaTorah, you have to, every Friday night, you have to announce that it's Shabbat. The Chachamim added to that, added to that, that you should drink wine when you make that announcement. That's not part of the, of the Doraita. So this year, this year you drink the first cup of wine, like for two things. You drink it first because it's Kiddush, and second because it's the first of the four cups. Right? So, so, uh, so those are the two mitzvot, Haseba and Arba Kosot, Ki Abadim and Yilaparu Mitzrayim, Yeshvanu Lirot Ki Ilu Anachu Yatsavu Mitzrayim. This is also a synopsis. Sheilu Lorot Si Hakadosh Baruch Hu Et Avotenu Mitzrayim. Adayin Yidim Yishu Abadim. You see, there were different nuschaot of the of the Haggadah, which were very similar, but not exactly the same. You know that Rashi lived before Gutenberg. Yes a long time before. And therefore, therefore, uh, it's quite reasonable that you, if you find Haggadot from that period, or you find mention of Haggadic material from that period, that it won't always be identical to the mentions of other, you know, in other places. It's very difficult to get it all perfect. So then he says, You see, as promised. Afilu kulanu chachamim on the gonim v'yodim et ha-Torah. What did you say? Right? You see? This is, and this is the school of Rashi. Not Rashi, but it's the students of Rashi who wrote this up. Since the Haggadah was very popular, it's clear that the Rashi's Haggadah didn't have the word sekenim in it, but it does have chachamim and nevonim and yodim et ha-Torah. Mitzvah alayno safem yitzhak mitzvahim. Right? So that's where the word Zekeinim comes from. You see where the word Zekeinim comes from? That's an introduction. So I think we can, we can safely say that the words, or that the, the words that are dramatically important to us are the Chachamim, the Vonim, and the Yodim. Right, they're not the word, not the words that came in. Another pasuk 
פרק ג' פוסק ט"ז ושמות ליף והסבתא את זקני ישראל. Right, what is זקני ישראל? Rashi says, מיוחדים לישיבה. They are people who are able to participate in serious talk about the Torah. ואם תמאז קיינים סתם, and if you'll say, Rashi says that these are old people, that, that's what the word refers to. How do you say that to collect all the old people? There's so many of them, but Skenim, who are, who are wise and knowledgeable, how many of them, how many of them, they're all known. You, know, you just press a button and they all come out. So that's what, that's what Ashi's, uh, 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 that's what Ashi's proof. Okay. Before we get to, uh, before we get to the last Kibsukim on the sheet, I want to look a little bit at, a uh, at a section from the Tanya. The Tanya is written by... Uh, what? <laughs> the Tanya was written by the first uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe, and this uh, translation, the translation of... Uh, what's the name? Shochet? Shochet. Is, is outstanding. It's an outstanding translation, and uh, it's, it's, it's really a very important, a very important book because it's the ideology. It's like, like, what is a Jew supposed to think about himself? Unfortunately, it's not always easy. Right? In other words, the, uh, the Balatanya did not distinguish uh, between the people who uh, knew a lot and the people who didn't know so much in, the, in writing this book. So this book is... Uh, you know, you know that, that, that story to Rabbi Salavechik when he was a child, Rabbi Salavechik in Boston, uh, there was a Malamed that was hired to teach him who was a Lubavitcher. And this Malamed would teach him whatever he was supposed to teach him, but at the end he would like, you know, in the way of Lubavitch, to get a little Tanya. And uh, this was until, until his parents found out, and then they got rid of him. The tutor, <laughs> but the Rav knew the Tanya by heart. That he was quoted. He, he, he didn't go and look it up, you know, all the time. I don't think, but he knew it. He knew it from those years, you know, as a child, and he quoted it, uh, which I think is a sort of a kind of a kind of approval. Even though the Rav would never say anything sheer that was political in any way, he would never for anybody or against anybody. He was only four shot in the Gemara. So, uh, so anyway, so there's something that you see in the, in the Tanya. Tanya, which is also called the Kuti Amarim, chapter 18. You can get this on, online. The, you get the Tanya online and you get the translation online. And uh, like I said, it's, it's not so easy. Or, or the best way to get the Tanya is to go to your local Lubavitcher representative, wherever he is. And tell him that if, if you can't get a Tanya, you're going to intermarry. <laughs> and then immediately, he will get you a Tanya. Right? So, uh, it's a tried, a, a tried method. It's work, it works every time. Yeah, but you won't get the, you won't get the footnotes. Yeah, you can type in Tanya. You can type in Tanya, or in Hebrew, Likutei Amarim Tanya. And you'll, you'll get to it. There, uh, there's a website that has the Tanya, a Chabad website that has the Tanya, but it, I don't think that they give you the footnotes, which are uh, helpful in, in, if you try to learn, learn it. But the, uh, the book, because of the Hebrew and the English, and the footnotes, and the introductory essays, is really terrific. It's a terrific job. Terrific job. He was... Uh, Anyway, this is what he says. He says, Chochma. Now, of course, the, the, uh, the Balatanya is a Kabbalist. And he knows all of that material. And he's going to use it. So he says, Chochma is the source of intelligence and comprehension. And it's above Bima. Remember we said the first three, the first three are Keter, which is something else. And then Chochma and Bima. So you say, what do you have to say, Chochma and Bina? What's the difference between them? So the difference between them is that Chochma is the source of intelligence and comprehension. 
That means it's not the knowledge of things, but it is the power within us that enables us to understand things if we try to. It's sort of like you're dividing it into two parts. There's because, because what you wanted to say is that even though Bina, which is the understanding of specific things in the world, even though Bina is limited, Chokhmah is not. Like Chokhmah is the closest thing you get to God. And as we said in the beginning, we said in the beginning that Chokhmah cannot always be expressed in words. Chokhmah is not something that you can, it's something you have, but you can't always speak it. So you might scream it. You might stamp your feet. You might dance. You might run around in circles, but that's all from Chokhmah. Bina, he says. Rashi says what you learn. You learn about things. That's Chokhmah. Bina is innate uh, understanding. In other words, it's, uh, it sounds like Chokhmah is a lower level and Bina is a higher level. You can't have Bina unless you learn from others. Bina is only understanding things from innately about what you've already learned. Right, so, uh, so however you learn it, you can learn it from a book, you can learn it from uh, learning things. But it's not innate. Right. Okay, that's good. Now let's see what the, what the Balatanya says. He says, Chokhmah, which is the higher level, is the source of intelligence and comprehension. And it is above Bina, which is intellectual understanding and comprehension. Whereas Chokhmah is above them and their source. Okay? That's one thing he says. The second thing he says, which is also something that's well known in the Kabbalah, note the etymological composition of the word Chochmah. If you take the word Chochmah, you can divide it up into two other words. Kavchet, Memhe. Right? Kavchet is the word Koach, which is uh, in medieval Jewish philosophy probably correctly translated as potential. There is a potential. And then when the potential is carried forth, there's an actual. Right? There's a potential, and there's an actual. This is philosophical lingo, which goes back to the, which goes back actually to the Greek. So if you look at that, the word chokhmah, koachmah, the potentiality of what is. That which is not yet comprehended and understood. You understand? That there's such a thing. Like, I can be sure that there's some profound meaning to what's happening, or to what it says, or to what I'm learning, but I don't know yet what it is. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm confident that there's a profundity there, and I don't know what it is. How do I get the confidence that there is profundity? That's Chokhmah. That's Chokhmah. That's what you have sometimes. You're able, you're able to do that. He does yet tell me, I grasped intellectually. Consequently, there is vested in it the light of Ain so blessed be he. In other words, light is understanding. Light of the Ain Sof means the understanding that God has. What is Chokhmah? Korach Na. In other words, I, I realize that there is some profound understanding which I have not yet achieved. That's what Chokhmah, what Chokhmah is. Bina, Bina, he says, who can, who can, uh, who can in no way be comprehended by any thought? Hence all Jews, even the women and the illiterate women here, not because they don't understand. Adaraba, the, the Gemara says the women have the power of Bina. But it's because they're not taught. They weren't educated. That's how the women and the uh, and the illiterates became identified with each other. Because illiteracy is not a um, it's not genetic to be illiterate. It's an accident. It's an accident. You're not taught, so you're illiterate. It has nothing to do with your potential or your capacity. So women were not taught, and therefore they're compared always to the illiterate. He says, and all Jews. This is what he says. Even the women and the illiterate believe in God, since faith is beyond understanding and comprehension. In other words, again, there is this idea 
that I can be very involved with something even though I can't say that I know it. Do I know that there is a God? Do I know that God runs the world? And yet I can be certain about it. On the other hand, uh, you know, that's why you can't have a discussion between uh, a believing person and a non-believing person. There's nothing to discuss. They're discussed because all the non-believing person says is that rational thought doesn't lead to this necessary conclusion. Whereas the religious person says, okay, rationalist thought doesn't lead to this conclusion. But I know that it's true. That's what every religious person, that very religious person says. So you can't have a discussion. You can't have a discussion. You can have a discussion about whether, you know, could discuss whether whether Shmur matzah is better than regular matzah. <laughs> you can have a discussion about And everybody can have an opinion. <coughs> but you can't have a, a discussion about faith. You can't have a discussion about faith because, because there's no common matrix to work with. Right? You know, everybody's playing on a different playing field. Right? So, so that's what, that's what he said. The simple believe of everything, but the prudent man understand it. Or he got to the Holy One, blessed he who is beyond intelligence and knowledge, and who can in no wise be comprehended by any thought. All men are like fools in his blessed pre- uh, presence as it is written. So you see that the Balatanya understood, I think, that the person that uh, the homo religiosi, the religious person, is the religious person because he has something in him that cannot be quantified, as opposed to the scientific person, where I can say, good scientist, better scientist, best scientist, greatest scientist, I can say that because I can make up uh, categories, I can make up categories, I can say, A is smarter than B, or B has done more than A, I can, I can do that, but I can't do that with faith. There are just two kinds of people in the world. There are people who have faith, and people who don't have faith. That's true that, that, that psychologically, some people are like swing, in the swinging, uh, you know, they could be not having faith, and they're becoming with faith, you know, that's also true. But in terms of, in terms of uh, the categories, what are the categories? Uh, you know, we don't know, we don't know what influences us, right? You know, people who have come from religious households uh, often uh, go back to religion or being more religious as they get older for whatever reason, for whatever, whatever the reason is. So there are people who swing back and forth. Now, if you take all of this together and you look at a Pasuk in Mishlech, you look at a Pasuk in Mishlech, Mishlech Perik Kavdalet, uh, no, I'm sorry. Mishle Perik uh, Gimel. You see that Mishle Pasigutet? Hashem Bechachma Yasad Aretz. In other words, Briyat Olam, right? Eretz and Shamayim. Chachma. Chachma, in other words, it's the will of God. It's the understanding of God. It's the way God wants it to be. That's what we learn in Mansa Bereshit. There's day one and day two and day three. And even though nobody understands it, Nobody understands that. I mean, okay, you can memorize day one, there was light, day two. But nobody understands why God created the world, A. Nobody says why God created the world. And B, nobody understands why the order was the order. Or why you needed an order. Or why there had to be an order. But this could be like, you could think in terms of the Seder. Like Seder on Pesach is order. And order is... Right, you know, in other words, that's order. So why did you have order? I don't know. You have to find someplace else with this one. Maybe it'll shed light. So in the creation of the world, there was order. And that order, according to the Mishnah, is Chochmah. Which, as we just learned in the Balatanya, means we don't really get it. We know it's there. Hashem Chochmah Yesat Aretz means God made the world with Chochmah, which means, another way of saying that is, there must have been a reason, which also means, but I don't understand that reason. That's Chochmah. I don't understand. I know it. I recognize it. I can smell it. 
but I don't know what it means. Konein Shamayim Bitfuna. Ah, what is Shamayim? How did God create the heavens? By Avdel. He separated. Like Yasad Aretz, by Avdel, between the heavens and the earth. That's Bina. Bina is the capacity, the capacity to use your Chochmah. So when you divide something, when you say there's a this of it above and a that of it below, that's called, that's called Bina. The depths were broken up. And Rashi says, Hashem Mechokma Yisrael Aretz, Al Pi HaTorah, V'hi HaTorah, Hi HaTvunah, V'hadat, L'achar Shekol Olam Nivra Bahem, L'kach. He says, He says, The Torah, Like where's the Torah? The Torah is, The entree, Into this understanding, Of Chokma and Bina and Da'at. That's what Rashi says. So, when HaKadosh Baruch told Moshe Rabbeinu to build the Mishkan, it had to be built by somebody who understood. What did he have to understand? That it's God's will. It's not Moshe Rabbeinu's will. In other words, you could trust Moshe Rabbeinu. You could say, Moshe Rabbeinu is not going to fool me. He's not going to tell me to do something I shouldn't do. But the Tzalel had Ruach Hashem he knew what Moshe Rabbeinu knew. What was the difference between them? Moshe Rabbeinu understood exactly what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted. That's the parashiot of Truman Tetzaveh. Tetzalel didn't know that. But he knew that he had to respond through Ruach Hashem to the Chochmah. That's what the Pesach, that's what the Pesach says. Ramalei oto Ruach HaLokim bechochmah that's to unravel the mysteries of the world. What's the greatest mystery? The greatest mystery is why HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted a place in Olam Hazeh. Why did they build, why did they build the Mishkan? Why did they have, God have to have a place in Olam Hazeh? Yitziat Mitzrayim. Yitziat Mitzrayim is the same Torah. Now you know that it's very interesting that the Haggadah contains almost nothing of the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim as it's told in the Chumash. But the Haggadah is all ours. What we say, the way we understand. So that's the Skeinim, Afil Skeinim Chachamim. If the Haggadah was just saying over the Psukim of the Torah, then you couldn't have a Ta'ana against the Chachamim. They're like Kaya. They know the psukim. They heard this ten times last year. They all know it. They know it all by heart. But the Haggadah, the real Haggadah, is the expression, the personal expression of my experience in Yitzhak the tribe. And that experience has words. That experience has eating to it. That experience has showing the things that I'm going to hear, talking about them. All of that is about, is about the Yitziat Mitzrayim. And the Yitziat Mitzrayim of the Chachamim and the Nevonim and the Yodim et HaTorah and the Living of the Skenim is special. Because they had, they had through the Torah that they learned, they had some connection to the will of God. And that's what they were clarifying. They weren't clarifying what happened. They all knew what was happened. But the Arabs came in that were the Chamisha, Chachamim, who were sitting and talking to each other all night long, I don't What were they talking about? They were talking about what did God want? Why was it that Am Yisrael had to go through this process of slavery and freedom? And that's the, uh, to my mind, that's the story of the Hamisha Chachamim. Right, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Elizabeth Azariah, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Tarifog, they were talking about Yitziat Mitzrayim. 
but they weren't telling the story. They were trying to understand, as we could try to understand about the creation of the world, why HaKadosh Baruch Hu was so interested in uh, Yitzhak Mitzrayim as being part of the formation of the nation of Israel. But maybe that's a discussion for another time. Have a good Shabbos.